Welcome to Lagrange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science, technology, and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, who are a youth organisation with members aged 15 to 25, whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's show, we have Adam, how are you doing? and Ella. Hi! On today's episode of Lagrange Point, we'll be talking about all things zoological and biological. We'll be talking about how tigers are suffering from mating problems, how we could use alligators' teeth regeneration to help us grow back our lost teeth. We'll be closing out by looking at one of the fascinating new things with the fairy penguins in Melbourne. We're going to kick off with our Launchpad News section. So many of you are probably familiar with the animals that we bring back from near extinction by getting them together, putting them in a zoo, playing some romantic music and getting them to mate and reproduce for the good of their species. And we've been doing that with pandas, breeds of tigers, lions, rhinos and all other types of creatures. But this could lead to some unusual problems. Now I'm not talking about uh, marital issues or any sort of counselling. I'm talking about genetic issues that can happen when you breed from a small pool of population. So in India they're actually struggling with this problem now at the moment because their tigers in captivity and in the wild have all come from a very limited gene pool. So the only tigers that are left are very closely related to each other and this can cause all sorts of problems for the tigers themselves. So Ella, what exactly is going on here? So we don't have a lot of tigers left. Everybody knows that. We know they're endangered. We know many of them are nearly extinct. So there's not a lot going around in terms of genes. In fact, in terms of India's tigers, uh, what researchers are suggesting is that about 93% of sort of genetic variants of different different genes in tigers have been lost. So that's 93% of the possible combinations that you could have for your genes. It's interesting you say that because, um, well, I think humans have had this issue a long, long time ago. One of the, I'm not a biologist, I must admit that, but uh, one of the things that fascinates me is that dogs have such a diversity of, of physical forms they come in. Some have long ears, some are tall, some are tiny like cats. Um, and humans really don't have that huge variety of, of genetic uh, diversity. And I'm not a biologist, but my understanding is that that comes from the fact that humans, pop, the humanity's population was down so low at one point. So in a sense, uh, this could be the tiger's human period where humans were down to, I think it was at one point, 300 uh, females existed. And that's where we get a lot of our common ancestors. So I think everyone with blue eyes has uh, a common ancestor from when the human population was down to 300. So it seems like the tigers are going through their own little humanistic period. Yeah, then that that's really interesting because it shows it shows the way that it, the impact it can have on your population from that point. So what it might mean for tigers is that instead of having a diverse range of species of tigers, and we have a lot of regional variants of tigers, lots of different types, we may actually get towards one standard tiger-ish thing. That's all we have left. And that's a huge risk when it comes to species survival. I mean, if you only have one sort of tiger who's got all of the same genes, all of the same properties in, in every tiger everywhere, they're at a real, uh, at a real risk for... Disease? And, disease, absolutely. And, and other issues, and, so and defects. Issues. So they've got shared weaknesses um, that could wipe out entire populations in one fell swoop. What's um, so the banana population had the problem. There was apparently this beautiful blend of bananas. I'm not a banana eater myself, but apparently a beautiful blend of bananas because every banana is essentially a clone when they replant them. 
there was all the banana population had the same genetic resistance. So when a disease came in that affected this beautiful variety of banana, just wiped the entire population out. And I think that's what the tigers run the risk of falling about. Absolutely. And obviously it's it's a lot more dangerous to be a tiger in the wild than a banana on a farm. There's a lot more things that you could come into contact with, loads more diseases, uh, lots more risk factors, um, and just generally not not necessarily having all the variation required for your population to survive in Tell me, oh, a changing climate. Would you prefer to be a banana or a tiger? That's my question. Ooh, see, that's a tough one. Uh, look, I would prefer to be a tiger just because I think there's a little bit more hope involved. We've got some great uh, zoo programs and some amazing research being done into how we can reduce the effects of, of these bottlenecks of this sort of small gene pool issues. Um, and so there's some amazing stuff being done uh, around those issues. For those of you who are doing or looking forward to doing uh, VCE biology, your Unit 4 bio uh, will talk about lots of genetic issues, uh, bottlenecks, drifts, that kind of thing. And if you're keen on tigers or zoos or conservation, uh, Melbourne Zoo actually runs a student conference, uh, which is a full day, and you'll get time to have a chat to zoo staff and to other students um, about population genetics and be challenged to sort of look at how they're going to affect the tigers in zoos and in the wild. And you also get a chance to visit GTAC um, and use some wet lab and bioinformatics tools to look at how uh, genetic bottlenecks really get in the way of populations surviving. And that's really fascinating. So if you want to find out more, look up some of the work by Melbourne Zoo and uh, dig into it because it's an very expanding area of research. A lot of us have different kinds of teeth with all kinds of issues and uh, we, we all worry about whether our teeth look good or not and it's a great moment when we uh, lose our first tooth and when we lose our last tooth. But um, that's a bit worrying if you lose a tooth when you don't mean to or when you're an adult because you can't grow them back. And that can be very problematic and also expensive, especially if you don't have the money to have a gold tooth put into your mouth or some bling or some grills on your teeth. So humans just have to deal with the fact if we lose our teeth. But other animals have a lot of different solutions to this problem. They've come up with ways to regrow and regenerate teeth so that their mouth has always got a wonderful smile. I was just going to make a comment about uh, you have wonderful teeth that make a wonderful smile there, Justin. So humans, we get two lots of teeth. That's it. But alligators, we've found, they've got about 80 teeth in each of their mouths and each of those teeth gets replaced about 50 times in their lives. What, what do they bite? Phenomenal. <laughs> what would they possibly make, be doing to go through a lot their of They eat a lot of stuff, a lot of carcasses, and I've never really uh, ripped somebody to death by my mouth. But I imagine if you were doing that, it would sustain quite a bit of damage. So uh, that makes sense. The diseases, all this kind of stuff. But they can report alligator tooth infection. Yeah, but they also eat rocks, which I imagine doesn't help either. Yeah, now the question is, do you chew your rocks or not? Because that, I'm sure, factors in. <laughs> okay, so they've been using, uh, the research team has been using some fantastic techniques, x-rays, tissue analyses, uh, that sort of thing, to look at how these alligators get an opportunity to get a new set of teeth, basically whenever they need them. And what they've found is that alligators have a really interesting tooth structure. 
which is a little bit like a sandwich. On the top, they have the mature tooth, which is the pointy one that you can see poking out of the mouth. Underneath that, there's a baby tooth growing. And right underneath that, there is this really interesting bundle of stem cells just waiting to become a tooth when the next layer has popped off. That's amazing. So wh- why why do they have a stem cell layer and we don't get the same benefits? Well, it, it's a tricky question to answer the why, but basically human stem cells get turned off once they've started building something or once they've started making a cell or an organ. Uh, just like we can't regrow kidneys, we don't have stem cells that are switched on to make a new tooth. Uh, so we know that we've been doing loads of stem cell research to... Uh, make new livers and make new heart cells. Um, There's some real potential in that research to create bundles of stem cells and tell them to make new teeth when we need them. That's really amazing. So um, alligators do this normally. They just regrow teeth by telling their stem cells, hey, give me some new teeth, and they basically produce them. But in humans, we turn them off, so we don't get that benefit. But if we turn them back on somehow with a better instructions to our stem cells, we could actually regrow teeth. I guess the bigger question is, though, we have the stem cells turned off for a reason. I don't want to end up with my mouth growing a whole lot of extra teeth that I don't need. Absolutely. There's a lot of sort of management and maintenance to be done, um, which I guess probably explains why we haven't uh, grown very many teeth or grown very many whole organs in labs just yet. They look like really complicated processes, um, and it's really hard for us to simulate in a lab what happens naturally um, in a body or in a, in a fetus or in an alligator. We, we're very naive sometimes. We think, well, why doesn't our body just turn on our teeth growing elements, save me thousands of a dentist? But I think we need to think back in terms of uh, our human history. And I think evolution, everything about evolution comes down to energy expended. And if you can save that extra bit of energy on not growing extra teeth, then you have more energy to reproduce and, and pass on your genetic material. So I think over our history, it's become less and less important for humans to have good teeth. We have obviously molars, whereas the alligators have these big killing incisors, I think. Anyway, uh, it's, I think genetically it's just become a less important thing for humans. And only recently have we had the huge sugar revolution that we have had. And whoa, below, would you believe it, our teeth start falling out again. So it's really been a problem that we've made for ourselves as humanity, and it's probably going to have to be a problem that we're going to have to solve for ourselves again. Unless we wait a very long time for evolution to take hold. (laughs) See, that, that works well for my children and my children's children, not so well for me. So I'm going to put my money behind the scientists, I reckon. And uh, it's also, delaying it a bit makes it much easier for the tooth fairy, who's going to be hit with an awfully big bill if, <laughs> if everyone starts a mass-producing teeth just to get some income. I think they call that inflation. That is definitely teeth inflation. You would see the value of teeth drop like Bitcoin. This is really interesting application of stem cell research, looking at animals, and so it's a bit of biomimicry combined with stem cell research to really help, perhaps, humans going forward into the future. Many of you are probably aware of our beautiful little fairy penguins at Phillip Island who come in from the ocean at dusk back to their nests to feed their young. But there's penguins a lot closer to Melbourne than that. There's actually some right at the end of St Kilda Pier. So, Ella, what exactly goes on at St Kilda Pier? The penguin colony has about 1,200 little penguins, uh, which are the same as you can find down on Phillip Island. And they've been down there for about sort of 30 to 40 years 
Um, they're a pretty great tourist attraction, as well as a really interesting little conservation project right on our doorstep. They've been there for 40 years. I've never heard of them, and I've been in from Melbourne for quite some time. Um, what do they live on? Well, uh, they go out every day in the morning around sunrise, uh, and they'll fish out in the bay, and then come back in at night uh, to feed their babies, to hang out, and to catch up with the tourists who will come and take photos or just come and chill with the penguins. And- and that, that's really interesting because living in Melbourne is not one of the uh, simplest of environments. It's a, a modern area. It's built up. Humans are everywhere. And, in fact, boats are everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, the St Kilda Pier, obviously, uh, has loads of boats down there, mostly yachts. And uh, the Melbourne Yacht Squadron uh, is the big boat uh, group and association that runs down there. Um, they have a lot of competition for attention. Um, so you've got the Penguins, the Yacht Squad, beachgoers, um, as well as drivers, people who are driving past for the view, um, and loads of business pretty close to the docklands in and around the city. So there's a lot of things to juggle there for conservation. So that's a really interesting challenge. And so it's people's job to manage that and take yeah. everyone's interest into account? Absolutely. Um, the, the Yacht Squadron actually has worked really hard um, together with uh, Earthcare, who are a volunteer group. Um, and together they have they've made some really excellent efforts at keeping the penguins protected as they grow and develop um, an industry down there, um, down in St Kilda. So what kind of conservation work do they do with their penguins? Do they have people watching them, helping them feed, or just keeping track of them? Uh, mostly just keeping track of them. Uh, um, so at the moment uh, they've got volunteers who go down there every day, um, both to, to look at the penguins and to check that they're healthy, but also to provide some education and information for visitors who come along uh, so that we can preserve a bit of interest um, and protect their interests like that. Um, so this is really cool. And if I wanted to uh, go and visit the penguins, if I wanted to look at them or get it, become a volunteer, is it easy to do that, to help out? Um, look, we're not sure about uh, helping out with Earth Care specifically, but um, they're very friendly and easy to contact. If you wanted to get down and see the penguins... Normally, I would tell you to head down there about sundown every day, um, but at the moment, the breakwater has actually been closed for some really exciting renovations. What's happening down there is that the Yacht Squadron is extending the breakwater, which is the end of the pier, so that they can fit more boats in. Uh, But together with Earthcare, they've actually figured out how to protect the penguin colony at, at the same time. So they're uh, providing more space for the recreational boats, uh, but they'll also be providing more nesting places for the penguins down there. And so the pier will be opened up again around about September this year, uh, which will be just in time for the penguin breeding season. That's really exciting. Again. It's really cool the way that environmental um, consulting and strategy interplays with everyone who's involved in the process, not just one side or the other. It's a real collaborative approach. Absolutely, and it's got lots of other people involved as well. So the Yacht Squadron's contributing about $6.5 million to the works, and obviously they've got a pretty big interest in how that comes out. But Parks Victoria has also uh, put in about $1.2 million uh, to help protect the penguins and the environment around that area. So there's loads, loads of people with lots of different interests all coming together for a really cool project. And it'll be really exciting to look at and see those penguins in, when the uh, expansions are finished in September. Absolutely. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. On today's episode, we've delved into the world of biology, including tigers' mating issues, alligators regrowing their teeth and stem cells, and looking at penguins at the St Kilda Piers. Tune in next week for more biology.
and our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information on the Young Scientists of Australia.